You're listening to the First Baptist Church of Marble Falls, Texas sermon podcast. For almost 130 years, FBCMF has served the Marble Falls and the Greater Highland Lakes area faithfully through children's programs, youth activities, and adult discipleship. We invite you to join us each and every Sunday at 9 and 10.30 a.m. for deep fellowship, rich worship, and a spirit-filled message. Never miss an archived sermon by subscribing to our podcast on either SoundCloud or iTunes. For more information about our church or to watch a video version of this and other sermons, please visit us online at fbcmf.org. my goodness. Jessa, we love you very much. Thank you. Thank you for leading us. Jessa and and Marcus are a very important part of our church. We're grateful for for them, and uh, thank you so much, Jessa. Um, All right, men. Men. um, Christmas is almost here, and us guys need to stick together. I... I have a few ideas that that might help you during Christmas of what not to do, what not to get your spouse this Christmas. So if the devil comes up and starts whispering in your ear that the treadmill is a good idea, I'm going to help you to get away from the spiritual temptation to, to make a better choice than that. So here are six things, six solid things, men, to avoid buying your spouse. And uh, let me give them to you. Number one, makeup. Makeup. If you do feel compelled for some reason to buy makeup, make sure that it is not any form of anti-aging cream. Read very, very carefully. Uh, number two, number two, a, a new flat-screen TV. Dudes, she knows. She knows who that gift is for. Number three, tickets to a bowl game. Here's the deal, unless she has a relative playing or your wife played football in high school, (laughs) chances are she does not want to spend the whole day traveling and and doing all of that. She's not into it as you think she is. (laughs) Number four, diet or fitness products. If you make that horrible choice, we are beginning a, a counseling center. Uh, starting in January, and, um, and we can register you for couples counseling very quickly after that. Uh, number five, self-help books. How to build your personality, how to be a better parent, how to do this or that. Maybe a stocking stuffer, but do not regular gifts stay away. Number six, anything to do with cleaning. It, it doesn't matter how much she loved the, um, when she was a little girl, the, the children's toy vacuum cleaner. You will not get the same response by buying her the big girl version of that. <laughs> Stay away. So here is another, another idea to help. And I think this is a foolproof plan. Ladies, what do you think about this? You could write down what you really want for Christmas from your husband on your contact card that you were given this morning. And then we'll compile the list and we'll email it out to all of the men. It'll be the first ever 
ladies of First Baptist Marble Falls Christmas list. Amen. And then men, you can look at the list and you can choose which one you think your wife may have wanted from it. And then in January, ladies will bring all of you together for a big fellowship and you can exchange your gifts with one another. <laughs> I think it could work. Gift giving, gift, why, why, why do we feel compelled to do it? The, you know what? I think that if there were no Christmas at all, we would find time during the year, even if there were no birthdays, if this was not a part of our culture whatsoever at all, we would find ways and times and moments to give a gift to people that we loved. It's like it's in us, isn't it? It's innately within us. Gifts are important, and they are an important part of Christmas. Now, it's not all important. It's not the most important thing, certainly in our consumeristic economy, where you either have greed on one side or a kind of bah humbug on the other. Um, those ideas mess up the whole thing, but, but the reason that gifts are important, especially during this time, is number one, we give out of being changed and transformed from the gift of Jesus Christ in our own life. God sent Jesus into our world, and that is given as a gift to us and his grace. And out of that, we're different people. We're changed. And because of that, we become generous. It changes us from being a Scrooge-like kind of person into being a generous, giving kind of person. Number two, we give because... Um, we, we celebrate what the Magi did for Jesus Christ. When they showed up and they gave gifts to him, when we give, it represents and it symbolizes this kind of thing. We also give because it gives us a chance to show the important people in our lives how much we care for them and how much they mean to us. And when we keep all of this gift-giving in, in proper perspective and we don't let it get out of hand, you should never end up having to pay off debt until June in order to get out of debt for Christmas. That's, that's, making, that's letting it get way, way out of hand. As long as we do not let it get out of hand and we don't let it consume our life where your whole Christmas is based on all of that, it really can be a life-giving experience. Corey Ten Boom is that wonderful lady famously whose parents hid Jews during the Holocaust, and, uh, and she lived in Holland, and finally they, they found them out, they raided their house, and they arrested everybody, and all of her family died in a concentration camp. She's the only one who lived. She, she has an interesting perspective on things when you read about Cory Ten Boom's life, and, and one of the things that she said that stuck with me about Christmas, and she was always a joyful person, but she said this, there is no Christmas without presents. And for a while, I thought, oh, that's, you know, kind of shallow. Um, but then I started thinking about what she was talking about, and I think she has a good point right here. Because there is no Christmas without God's present to our world in Jesus Christ. Jesus is presented in the Bible as, as a gift. And, and the difference between a gift and something that you earn is, is huge. 
In, in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That's the word wage. It's something you earn. But the gift of God is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is comparing the idea of wage and the idea of gift. Um, if your boss took your paycheck and wrapped it up in a nice Christmas present, put a bow on it and gave it to you during Christmas, you, you would say, oh my goodness, when you did not know what was in it, you would say, you shouldn't have, this is so kind. And then you unwrap it, and if you saw inside of it your paycheck, you would say, man, this is not a gift. You owe this to me. If you didn't give it to me, you'd be stealing. This is a wage. I, I earned it. For the wages of our sin, what we have earned because of sin is death. But in the middle of it, there is a gift, and that gift is very free, and that gift is something we did not earn. We cannot repay, not in 100 years. We don't deserve it. The gift is Jesus. Now, based out of that idea, we're transformed. This is the special thing about the gift, that we did not earn it, and it makes us want to do the same thing for other people. And um, uh, somebody just chose to be kind to us. And really, gift-giving says more about the person giving the gift than it does about the person receiving the gift, that they're kind and that they love you. Wise men, and Matthew, these wise men, they make me smile. I believe that they are one of God's great surprises in Scripture, but God is a God of surprises. If you were to be given, if you had never read any of Matthew or Luke's Christmas story ever, and you were to be given a multiple choice option about who all you think um, would show up around the time Jesus was born, I promise you would not have chosen these dudes. Um, it, it's surprising. They came from thousands of miles away from ancient Persia, what is modern-day Iran, and, uh, and, and they came, and, and they're called kings, but... Or, Really, the word is magi. They're not really kings at all. A tremendous amount of legend kind of surrounds these guys, but we call them kings mainly because of that old song. Did you remember singing, We Three Kings, We Three Kings of Orient Are? They, when I was a boy singing in the Christmas choir, we would, we would change the words around a little bit, and the teachers would get really mad, and we, we, we would sing... We three kings of Orient are trying to smoke a rubber cigar. And uh, y'all, who all remembers that song? Some of you do. Yes, that's good stuff, y'all. Um, we, we sing this song about kings, but really they're, the word is magi. The magi, an odd group. They're kind of a tribal priestly, astrologer, mag magician kind of group. They, they, they would look at the stars all day long and they would try to figure out what it meant for the Persian um, army and for the Persian kings, what it meant for everybody. And they would study the movements of the planets and stars. And here's the neat thing. Planets and stars are very consistent from season to season. You don't, if you look at them all the time and you figure out where they all are, you, you know that, uh, that a new star doesn't just come around. And so one day, they're in their home of Persia, and they're all looking at the stars, and all of them say, what is that? Have you seen that before? Have you seen that? But no, 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 no. Well, well th that means something. 
Well, what does it mean? It's a brand new star. We have never seen it before. And they start thinking about it. And one of them says, you know what? A king must be being born somewhere. That's what it means. And so let, let, let's find it. This is a huge deal. And so it's astonishing that, that these men who had very little to go on, they just saw a, a star. They had very little, but they traveled such great distances and they endured hardships and they faced all of these uncertainties in order to find out what in the world it all meant. And what is more, when they showed up and they found Jesus, there's something inside of them that knew that he and this star were connected and that it was special, that God had done something in the world that had never, ever been done before. And so they gave him two very important gifts. Because of the gift God gave to our world, they are responding and giving two gifts back to Jesus. Number one, they gave him worship. And number two, they gave him these very practical things for a baby, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I have, I've brought this morning frankincense. And so what I'm going to do is uh, I have a, a, a real neat little vial of it. Quick hands. Don't y'all do that. I'm about to pass it around. Um, what I want you to do is open it up, and you can smell it, and I want y'all to pass it around. If you've never smelled frankincense before, here, here's a little bottle of it. And, um, and if it comes to the end of the row, you know, don't worry. Just get up like you're doing the Lord's Supper, kind of. And so I'm going to start over here with the Cosbys, and, uh, and they'll just pass it. And just it'll go back and forth and everything. And at the end of the worship service, when we end, whoever has it, just bring it on back to me. And um, so while I'm preaching about the gifts, you can smell one of the gifts. There you go. I, I find their, their faith and their insight amazing, their wholehearted search. And I think that's why we call them wise today. And every gift that we give represents this. It's kind of a symbol of, of what they did during that time. They, they gave these gifts, and, and, and they are extravagant. The gold and the frankincense and the myrrh that was given, it was extravagant for Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph were very, very poor. We know this because they only gave pigeons when they go to um, um, dedicate Jesus at the temple, and a pigeon is the smallest kind of animal that you could sacrifice that only people who were impoverished would give, and, and so they didn't have much, and these guys show up with these extravagant gifts, extravagant, their best, and so here's what it tells me, that if I'm going to give something to Jesus Christ, don't re-gift, don't do something that is mundane or something out of your life that, that is just kind of shallow or half-hearted or not really thought through, you can give something of your life to the Lord that is an extravagant, exciting kind of thing from you. The theological idea behind these guys is that they grasped something about Jesus and who he was, that he was the king. And as they gave it, it's foreshadowing that one day everyone in the world would know that he is the king. And everyone would understand that he is worthy of our very, very best. The title of my message this morning is, What are you bringing to Jesus Christ? 
Well, what are you offering him that, that, that is your very best? Um, over the years, I have become developed an appreciation for the children's song, The Little Drummer Boy. I didn't like it when I was a kid because I thought it was too childish, but over the years, as an adult, it, it has developed a little bit of specialness in my heart, and y'all know the song. It's this playful interaction that, that, that puts a little boy there at the manger scene, and the wise men are there, and shepherds are there, and everyone is there, and this little boy shows up as well, and then the wise men give these gifts. Now, historically, of course, this is fiction. Time-wise, it's, it's, it's not true. The wise men were not there when the shepherds were there, and all of that. I get it, but it's just a playful interaction of all of it, and, and the idea is this boy shows up, and he doesn't have gifts, and the wise men say, here's gold, here's frankincense, here's, here's myrrh, and the boy is like, ah, I didn't know we were bringing gifts. And so in the song, he simply gives the only thing he has to give. The song was written in 1941 by a composer named Catherine Davis, but here's what I found. This is the neat part. It was popularized by the Von Trapp family singers, the same people who, who were the, the lead of the musical, The Sound of Music. They came to America, they heard the song, they started singing it, and then everybody started singing it, and the little drummer boy became popular like that. But the crucial point of the song that, that, that I love and that means a lot to me is, is this. The boy simply goes, I played my best for him. Nobody else may have thought that it was worth anything. Mary and Joseph may have laughed and patronizingly patted him on the head and, all right, son, all right, go ahead. The shepherds may have just thought that it was silly as well, just a kid beating on a drum, but, but the cool part of the song is this. doesn't matter what anyone else says or thinks. I played my best for him. And I think that that's a good Christmas message, y'all. There's something about that. The whole key to worship is that you bring your best for Jesus Christ. That's it. You bring your best. I gave my best to him. And when you do, it reflects the sacrificing that happened in the Old Testament when people would bring sacrifices to Yahweh. And the Bible says that they would bring their unblemished lamb or an unblemished goat or an unblemished bull or pigeons. They would bring their very best and offer it to the Lord. And they were supposed to bring their best. And when they did bring their best, it was exciting for everyone around. And the moment became holy, and the moment became special because they're bringing something that meant a lot to them. But y'all, the moment becomes trivial, and the moment becomes mundane if we try to pass off a gift that is not valuable. It, it would be like this, like during a, a, a Christmas celebration, and you gave to somebody a gift that you had not thought very much through. Somebody else gave it to you. You never used it. Here you go. We, somebody does that every once in a while. But you know what? When, when we do, it doesn't make the moment special. Um, I imagine all of you have had this kind of experience during, during Christmas or birthdays or something where, where you had something that, that you were very excited to give. And, and it stood out 
you had a lot of gifts to give, but there is one or two maybe, and you're pumped, man, for that person to open that. Have, y'all have experienced this. The person gets that gift that you're excited to give them. Maybe moms and dads, it's when your children, you know, are, are, are about to pick that gift. You know, it's the gift of the year, and, and, and y'all thought a lot about it. You may have spent more money on it, and, and it just kind of is a sacrifice to even get it at all. And here they go, they're about to, to, to unwrap it, and it's just kind of exciting. It, it builds, there's anticipation. It makes the moment special, because pretend like it was the, the opposite. Do you feel the sense of um, anticipation and excitement if the person is opening something that, that somebody else just gave you or something that, that, that you just kind of passed along, you're just walking about to check out in the aisle and you find it on the sides right there in the checkout and that's what you got. Well, of course not. That moment is not made special by that kind of thing because there's no sacrifice to it. But when there's true sacrifice, the person giving the gift tends to be excited and they're pumped. They're like, hey, you know, he or she is about to do it. Mom and dad, they're about to open this gift and it builds something inside of us. When a person is about to open that gift, it is exciting, and it makes us happy to give it. In the same way, what could you give to the Lord that you're actually excited to give? That that there is anticipation, and you're saying, Lord, this is is my best. I, I hope that you're pleased with it because it's the best that I can do right now. Every one of you here have something unique that's just yours that you could offer the Lord, and I'm telling you, if you do, it's going to make a difference in your life this December. If you live in the next month of December in a way of worship to say, God, here is my best. I'm going to do this and this and this for you, and I'm going to give you my best. The Lord is going to say, thank you, but here's, it's going to make a difference in your life to give it. I was thinking about my own life and what I could give the Lord, and, and here's what I think it might be. I'm going to try and give to, to God a gift of my sermons. Here's the funny thing about my sermons, y'all. None of you here have a clue if I have been faithful or if I have really prayed or if I have labored or cried or sacrificed or struggled in the text. There may have been times where I was extremely busy and I had funerals and weddings and other things during the week and I come in here and I preach something and the only reason it's good is because God showed up. Not because I did anything hardly. And I'm being transparent a little bit in this, but, but what I hope to do, the, but I'll tell you who always knows, if I have not given much time and I have not really studied, if I haven't labored and done good exegetical work and given my heart to it and prayed through it and, 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 and felt the burden of it, God knows and so, for me to come in and, and, and here on, on the altar to say, God, um, nobody else here knows, but you were with me all week long, and, and, and you saw where I tried to stay up late, or I got there, or I worked and, and did all these things, and Lord, you're able to see where I didn't do all of this as well. But to come in 
and, and to say, Here, here's my sermon, Lord, and I offer it to you. And I would preach it even if nobody showed up that morning because, Lord, it's, it's simply for you. And to give it to him. That, that's what I'm going to try and do because it's something I can do. It's like the little drummer boy. I played my best for him. What, what, what is your song? What's the thing that you might be able to give with your life, with your words, with your actions? Maybe it's the way you treat your spouse. Maybe it's the way that you handle children or youth. Youth. Maybe it's the way that you talk to your mom and dad and how you treat them. Or maybe it's somebody in the congregation and, 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 or in your life and you need to say you're sorry and ask for forgiveness about something or other. And what if you did that and you did it unto the Lord? What, what could you give God this Christmas to show, the Lord, that this is a special gift for you? Um, in 2 Samuel 24, 24, King David is about to buy a piece of land to put the Ark of the Covenant in and on, and, uh, and the land belonged to a guy named Aruna. And Aruna said, David, you don't have to buy this land from me. You can just have it. You're the king. And David said to him, no, 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 Aruna, you don't, you don't understand. I'm going to pay for this land because I will not give to God that which cost me nothing. I'm going to pay. It has to cost. And that's what makes it special. It, it, it makes it valuable because it costs. And that's what we offer to the Lord. That's what makes it wonderful. And y'all know what? And we'll finish with this. In Revelation 4.10, there is a scene from heaven given to John. And John said that he was watching this where all of these saints gathered around and they started bowing down at Jesus' feet and they took off their crowns and they threw them at Jesus' feet, giving to him a gift. Here is my gift, Lord. Here is my crown. The Christian band, Casting Crowns, is based on this scene from Revelation. Throughout the New Testament, we are told that we can get certain crowns or certain rewards. Now, we, we don't earn salvation. That comes as a gift of grace from God. But after we give our life to Christ, the Bible talks about living the kind of Christian life that, that, that is well-lived, that is the right kind of of thing, a life that's disciplined and good, and, and occasionally the Bible will say, and when you do, you will get a crown of righteousness or a crown of life. And I don't know if it's one or two or exactly what all of that will be like or how many it is. I'm not sure, but, but I do see that in Revelation there is this cool moment where whatever our reward is, because of what we offered God during this life, whatever that is, we will have a chance to, to, to give that to him be, and because it represented our best. It represented the very best that we could be. I have very little patience and pity for those Christians who, who want to suggest that they don't need any kind of reward in heaven, any kind of crown, that they don't care about any of that, that, that all they care about is just getting into heaven and that that, that is good enough for them. Have y'all ever heard anybody talk like that? Man, they don't get it. They, they don't get it. Anybody who says that or believes that theologically does not get it. The reward in the end is, isn't for you. 
It was never for you. You were given something so that you can offer it back to Jesus Christ. That, that this amazing moment happens and there is the glorious Lord who loves you so very much and, 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 and you have a chance to come up to him and to say, you have given to me life. You've given to me salvation. You've given all of these things. Lord, I'm going to give you my best here. Of all of the things I've done in this whole world, you gave me this crown, but the whole reason I have it is to give it back to you here, God. Could you imagine in, in that moment, and you have nothing to really offer? That, that you come up to the Lord and you're putting your hands in your pockets and, 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 and you pull out this tiny, minuscule, pathetic little thing that cost you nothing, that was nothing of a sacrifice for you, and you go up to the king of kings who loves you so much, and you go up to him and you say, here, God, man, rather than to be able to say, Lord, I was not perfect, and you know that, but I tried on this occasion and on this occasion, and there were moments that were holy and special, and I sacrificed, and I did my best, and because of that, you gave this to me, and I am giving it back to you. I hope that we will have moments like that, that when it's our turn, that we'll be able to say, all right, back it up, boys. Beep, 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 unload it. All of these moments, Lord, are for you. And on that day, when First Baptist Marble Falls, when all of us are together and we're standing before the Lord, and I wonder if we'll look over at three or four or how many ever wise men there were, and we'll look over at them, and, and they'll be smiling at one another as they take off their crowns and they give their crowns to Jesus Christ as a gift. And you and I will, will look over and we'll say, hey, look, they're the wise men. And they're looking at one another as if they're saying, you know what? Doesn't this feel very familiar? Because they did it before. And those guys will do it again. And we can join that moment too. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church of Marble Falls, Texas sermon podcast. Never miss an archived sermon by subscribing to our podcast on other SoundCloud or iTunes. For more information about our church or to watch a video version of this and other sermons, please visit us online at fbcmf.org.